0: talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there.
1: Hey, it's Mariah and Steve, co-hosts of Swing Left's How We Win podcast. Two
0: years ago, with your help, Democrats won the trifecta in Virginia. The election to keep Virginia blue is on November 2nd, and actually early voting has already started. We're asking you to go to swingleft.org and help us win again.
1: If we get voters fired up and turned out, we'll keep Virginia blue. We can't let the GOP win. A Republican victory would move Virginia backwards and it would dramatically weaken Democrats' chances in the midterms.
0: Go to swingleft.org slash Virginia and you can help us win.
1: No matter where you live, you can make an impact. You can join a virtual phone bank, write letters to voters, and donate to the races that need the money the most.
0: Let's show the GOP that we will not stop fighting for our democracy.
1: Go to swingleft.org Virginia and sign up to volunteer. That is how we win.
2: Hey, all. This is Glenn Kirshner, and you're listening to Muller, She Wrote.
0: Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist.
1: Hello, and welcome to Mueller She Wrote. I'm the host, formerly known as AG, Dr. Allison Gill, I'm getting used to using the honorific in response to our amazing first lady, Dr. Jill Biden. Today is Sunday, October 24th, and holy majoli, do we have a show for you today. We have a Gates investigation update. Chris Steele and the P-tapes are back in the news. We have a roundup of foreign straw donations uh, to Trump and Trump PACs from Open Secrets, because I think it's important we put it all in one place and hear it all at the same time. We have federal raids on Manafort's Russian handler, Orleg Deripaska, and I've dusted my murder board off for that. I'm also very happy to welcome Russian spy hunter and author of the book Compromised, Peter Strzok, to the show today to discuss the implications of the Deripaska raid, and we speculate a bit together on what it could mean. He also brings up some very good points not discussed in mainstream media, including the urgency of the raid and the potential freshness of the evidence. I want to thank our patrons, without whom we would not be able to produce this show. I also encourage you to listen to the final episode of the MSW Book Club series out today on Mary Trump's latest book, The Reckoning, where Mary answers patrons' questions. November 7th, we will begin a new book club series on Colonel Vinman's book, Here Right Matters. And uh, he will join us to answer patron questions in the December final episode of that series. Patrons get ad-free versions of this program, the MSW Book Club, and the Daily Beans, plus all the amenities and bonus content, including invites to both live and virtual meetups with myself and guests, including the likes of Rachel Vindman and Glenn Kirshner and more. It's just three bucks a month for all that, so go ahead to patreon.com slash to sign up. All right, we have a lot to get to today, so let's kick it off with just the facts. All right, let's talk about, you know, illegal straw donations from foreign donors. The recent indictment of two Republican operatives on charges that they allegedly funneled money from a Russian national to Trump's campaign uh, and his joint fundraising committees is the latest in a string of high profile and high stakes foreign straw donor schemes exposed by the Department of Justice. Federal prosecutors claimed Jesse Benton and Doug Weed accepted $100,000, as you remember, from an unidentified Russian foreign national in exchange for getting the person a meeting with then-candidate Donald Trump at a fundraiser in 2016. Allegedly, the two funneled $25,000 to the Trump campaign and the Trump campaign's joint fundraising committee and pocketed the other $75,000. Benton, a former campaign manager for Senator Rand Paul and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Worked for the pro Trump super PAC Great America PAC in 2016. In December 2020, Benton was pardoned by Trump on charges tied to hiding bribes in a 2012 scandal. At the time, Benton allegedly paid a vendor who then paid a sub vendor, violating the FEC's ultimate vendor disclosure rules. The new indictment is not the first instance in the Justice Department probing foreign contributions that boosted Trump. As we know, Fruman, a Soviet-born operative of Rudy Giuliani, he he pled guilty to funneling political contributions from a foreign national to a pro-Trump super PAC, America First Action. Federal prosecutors recently announced that Giuliani, who also worked with Fruman's business partner Lev Parnas, is currently under investigation in the Southern District of New York over whether he may have acted as an unregistered foreign agent. Parnas Fruman and the U.S. partner Dave Korea were charged in the illegal foreign straw donor scheme after allegedly funneling $325,000 from Russian national Andrea Muraviev through a shell company, and through multiple shell companies, actually, to America First Action. Fruman's guilty plea notably did not include an agreement to cooperate with the government, and he could face up to five years in prison. In February, Korea was sentenced to a year and a day in prison after he pleaded guilty to conspiracy and making false statements about the illegal foreign straw donation scheme. The trial for Parnas and other alleged co-conspirators is underway. Parnas's uh, trial and Kokushkin's Kukushkin, uh, trial had started last week, and we reported on that. Other groups supporting Trump have also come under scrutiny for foreign money. Federal prosecutors began probing allegations of foreign donations to Trump's inaugural committee and pro-Trump Super PAC, Rebuilding America Now, in 2018. The inquiry reportedly examined whether foreign nationals from Middle Eastern nations, including Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE, whether or not they funneled money through straw donors to disguise the donations to the Super PAC and to Trump's inaugural committee. That committee was chaired by Tom Barrack, who was indicted and arrested in July on charges he secretly acted in the U.S. as an agent for the UAE. I think he's cooperating. That hasn't been confirmed. In 2018, Republican lobbyist Sam Patton, remember Sam Patton from the Fantasy Indictment League? He pled guilty to helping funnel foreign money to Trump's inaugural committee from a Ukrainian oligarch. Patton was a longtime partner of Konstantin Kalimnik, a Ukrainian businessman with ties to Russian intelligence who previously worked for Trump's 2016 campaign chair, Paul Manafort. Gosh, the dots, they connect themselves, don't they? California financier and Trump inaugural donor Ahmad Zuberi was sentenced to 12 years in prison in February after pleading guilty to violating the, F- the Foreign Agents Registration Act and making illegal contributions after he failed to register as a foreign agent while working for the Sri Lankan government and lobbying high-level U.S. government officials. Zubari, along with his firm Avenue Ventures, gave almost a million dollars to Trump's 2017 inaugural committee, again run by Tom Barrack, and he uh, admitted he helped facilitate donations from foreign sources. The Justice Department reportedly probed whether another hundred grand uh, donation to Trump Inaugural came from Jolo, a fugitive Malaysian financier accused of stealing billions in the 1MDB scandal and who allegedly transferred about $21 million to the Fuji's Praz Michelle as part of the straw donor scheme. The Justice Department also scrutinized Jolo's $1.5 million in transfers to a firm called LNS Capital shortly before the firm's head, Larry Davis, made political contributions to the Trump campaign's joint fundraising committee. The Justice Department has not released a conclusion on whether or not JOLO was the source of funding behind those contributions. So, mm, Larry Davis, maybe? Fantasy Indictment League? Let's write this down. Uh, the Malaysian financier's contribution reached political operatives on, on both sides of the aisle, with foreign money allegedly going to support Barack Obama, as well as Donald Trump. Federal prosecutors claim JOLO funneled more than $1.8 through straw donors to a PAC and joint fundraising committee supporting Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. George Nader, a Lebanese-American businessman and lobbyist known for serving as a witness in special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, uh, allegedly steered foreign money across the political spectrum, funneling money to both Trump and Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election. Both. Nader was indicted for charges relating to funneling more than $3.5 million through straw donors to political groups supporting Clinton's 2016 presidential bid in a purported attempt to build influence with her inner circle. During that period of time, Nader was working as an advisor to the UAE and Saudi Arabia, Hmm, connections to Barrick. After Trump won the 2016 election, the payment processing company owned by one of Nader's straw donors, who allegedly facilitated the donations to Clinton, gave a million bucks to Trump's inauguration and later met Trump in the Oval Office. Now, this reporting includes all kinds of names of ghosts of Russia past. And this week, the FBI raided the uh, the homes, I should say, of Oleg Deripaska in New York and D.C. I penned a Twitter thread and it felt like old times. Let me read it for you. Thread reminds me, okay, so Ken Vogel had tweeted, uh, and and as we know, Ken Vogel's from the New York Times. He tweeted that uh, an interesting new detail in the raid of Oleg Deripaska the FBI agents who searched Deripaska's uh, house in Greenwich Village were seen leaving this morning carrying several large, flat, rectangular boxes like those used to transport paintings. So I said, you know, that reminds me of, what does that remind me of? Leonardo DiCaprio, when he had to forfeit a Picasso and a Basquiat given to him by Jolo, who laundered money from 1MDB. Tom Barrack owned a hotel, by the way, purchased by laundered 1MDB funds. Tom Barrack was indicted, as I said, in July and could be cooperating. I think this raid and Barack could be related. Those are space beans, super space beans. And uh, then I have the sources here for the DiCaprio stuff, the Jolo indictment. The Department of Justice, I say, was also investigating whether JOLO made straw donations to the Trump inaugural, which Tom Barrick chaired, as we said in this last piece. Oh, and did I mention Deutsche Bank got wrapped up in the 1MDB scandal. Former Deutsche Bank employee Tim Leisner pled guilty to bribery and money laundering charges for funneling money from 1MDB. And, of course, Elliot Broidy, the guy pardoned by Trump that ran the RNC finance thing and paid $1.6 million for a mistress to get an abortion, he worked for JOLO and was indicted for lobbying Trump on behalf of JOLO. One of the founding members of the Fugees was also indicted. Broidy was pardoned. And then I end it with, so yeah, seems to stand a reason Deripaska would have fine art being seized by the FBI. Feels like old times. (laughs) Oh, the good old days. Uh, Up next, America's most prolific Russian spy hunter and the author of the book Compromised, which you need to get a copy of, too sweet. Peter Strzok will join me to discuss the raid on Deripaska. Stay with us. Hey, everyone. This segment of What She Wrote is brought to you by Aura. Most credit card companies do a good job of protecting you against fraudulent purchases. But what if a scammer files for unemployment in your name or if your social media accounts are hacked? Aura's protection goes well beyond your credit cards. Aura protects your online finances, your personal information, and tech from online threats. It's all-in-one protection from identity theft, financial fraud, malware, scam sites, and so much more. You'll be alerted to fraudulent activity and threats fast with Aura. For example, if your online accounts or passwords were compromised, or if someone tried to open a bank account in your name, you'll get notified. Aura solutions are easy to set up. All plans come with a proactive $1 million ID theft insurance, and you can always get in touch with U.S.-based customer support. Aura is a new type of security service that protects all of your online information and devices with one simple subscription. With an easy online dashboard and alerts sent straight to your phone, Aura keeps you in control and guides you through solving any issues. For a limited time, Aura is offering listeners up to 40% off their plans when you visit Aura.com slash MSW. Go to Aura, dot com slash MSW to get a complete protection and save up to 40%. That's Aura.com slash MSW. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So sanctioned Russian oligarch with direct ties to Putin, Oleg Deripaska, had his homes in D.C. and New York raided by the FBI this week in an investigation stemming from either the Southern District or Eastern District of New York. And here to discuss the ins and outs is my favorite Russian spy hunter, author of the book Compromised. (laughs) Please please welcome Peter Strzok. Hi, Peter. Hey, how are you? Good. It's good to see you. It's been a while. Yeah, you too. Uh, First First things first here. I mean, out of the blue, seemingly, we have these raids on Deripaska's, well, he owns them. I don't know if he lives there, but they're his residences. Can you just give us your top line thoughts on how this is, you know, we hadn't heard anything leading up to this uh, and and what your takeaways are from, from this raid, these raids, I should say? Um,
2: so it was surprising, and I think, based on Deripaska kind of having a little mini meltdown on his telegram channel overnight that it was a surprise to him as well. He was you know kind of complaining about everything and took a shot at the end that hopefully the you know the agents you know found stale jam and some bottles of vodka and their Bolshevik bean counting ways and looking for you know money bags from putin so he was he was clearly both uh, not pleased and surprised, but I think all of us the question is you know so what? For an FBI agent to be in a place, they either have to have the consent of the person who has control over it or they need a warrant and either a criminal warrant or a FISA warrant. Typically, FISA warrants are not done overtly like this was. So that tells me that there was some sort of a court order, um, probably a search warrant um, that gave them lawful authority to be there. And, you know, the most likely reason is that there is an ongoing investigation, that they're was, uh, you know, an agent who could sit down and swear out an affidavit saying that there was probable cause to believe that there was evidence of a crime in those residences, you know, and that can be typically fruits or instrumentalities, right? Something that was used to do the crime, something that is evidence, you know, bank records, phone records, legal documents, something that would show computer, you know, hard drives, something that would show the commission or evidence of the commission of a crime. And then there's also kind of a component too, like he was was sanctioned, put on the sanction list by Treasury in 2018. So, you know, there are forfeiture provisions that come. So it might be, and one of the thoughts I had is, you know, it is possible as part of these sanctions that the US government could go looking to attach to his assets to forfeit them and essentially take control of them, you know, sell them, but whatever monetary penalty was owed to the united states and or if these were the result of illegal activity to seize that so first thought was like well maybe they're going in there just to catalog on the fine art and but as, as the day went on you know people in both locations in dc and um, new york the news coverage had you know just videos and photographs of people carrying out boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff in small boxes, not like, you know, Marvel statues or big paintings, but things that make you believe that it would be whatever those items are, um, something that would be consistent with evidence of a crime. I think there was something showing a, a car being towed away from D.C., but, you know, whether that was I, because that might have evidence or, or trace, you know, sort of you know fingerprints, hair fiber type stuff, or if it was just seeking to you know seize the vehicle to forfeit, I don't know. But the high-level takeaway is I think it surprised everybody. Mm -hmm. I think the immediate memory that comes to everybody is that the business relationship between Manafort and Deripaska and the fact that, you know, allegedly Deripaska had loaned him up and around $10 million dollars as part of trying to settle that debt that Manafort was offering private briefings about the Trump campaign to Deripaska, that he provided, you know, the now infamous, you know, confidential campaign polling data that he gave to Konstantin Klimnik, which now in the Senate at least is calling an intelligence officer, Russian intelligence officer, and not just an agent, but you know, that kind of closest point of contact that at least we've seen publicly between elements of the Trump campaign and the Russian intelligence services. But Manafort gave that polling data to at asking Klimnick to give it to um, Deripaska. So there is, I think everybody, when you hear Deripaska, the thought is, okay, is there something relating to this? I think Andrew Weissman in his book talked about the, the possibility of being very close to being able to charge Manafort with regard to some conspiracy in the context of his relationship with Deripaska. Um, so DOJ cleared him to say that in the book. Uh, but it could it may be that it also may not be. It may be, you know, Deripaska is, a, you know, allegedly has been involved in part of the things he was sanctioned for. We're engaging in a variety of not just unsavory, but illegal business dealings. So this might be the result of other investigations of other criminal activity. And, you know, what that might be anybody's guess. So we shall see, I think.
1: Well, um, uh, great minds, Pete, because you just flew through every single question that I had for the entire (laughs) interview. So I think we're done. No, I want to I want to unpack some of that stuff, though. um, And I want to talk about, first of all, the the criminal investigation versus counterintelligence investigation. Uh, Did I hear you correctly? Are you saying that simply being sanctioned means that you might have to uh, forfeit forfeit assets
2: I, I I don't I don't know enough about how treasury designations convey the ability to seize or attach things tangible goods or money in accounts so I think in in, in other words I don't know there could be at least and I'm I'm way out over my skis here. One could be if you owe some sort of judgment where you are in default for a court has found that you're liable for paying some amount of money and the government can go look at some point to seize um, assets to fulfill that obligation. The other thing would be slightly different that if you are you know, laundering money, or if you're buying things that, you know, that are a, the fruit of illegal activity that you can attach to that through forfeiture. And those are slightly different things, but the ins and outs of how that works with treasury designations, I just, I don't know enough to, to be able to speculate on that. Um, so, and again, to the point of what, what folks were after in there, um, they're in there a long time. I mean, the, the, I think it was, you know, whatever time it popped up when some reporter was running by or walking by his DC residence. And I think they were there at least late until the late afternoon, early evening. So easily, you know, 10, 12 hours inside. This was not, you know, I'm looking for a thumb drive, go in there and, you know, dig through. There was a lot of material taken out. So the scope of the warrant appears to be fairly broad. Um, And, you know, again, We're we're guessing it's out of New York, not DC. So, you know, there's some spec. I I have seen people speculate and I don't think it is related to the Lev Parnas, Igor Fruman cases or Rudy's investigation. It might be, um, but I don't know. And it is interesting, too, though, that it is out of New York and not DC um, because some of those logical you need some sort of venue for whatever you're investigating when well, in the criminal sense. So if it were something related to, you know, 2016, of course, passing that polling data took place at the Grand Havana Room, which was in New York City and wasn't in D.C. So, I mean, I can, I can envision a number of reasons it would be in New York um, and none of them sort of narrow down what this might actually be at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, actually, my first thought was it might be related to Tom Barrick and, and that investigation and indictment. I know he had a lot of uh, ties to QIA, Cutter 666 Fifth Avenue, UAE, but also, um, you know, working with the inaugural committee. And, you know, then you can drag JOLO into this and 1MDB. and Because one of the first things I thought of when they were saying they were dragging art out of there is was uh, my first thought was money laundering red flag. Um hmm. But again, yeah, it could be asset forfeiture or seizure, not forfeiture, seizure. Um, it, it's I mean, but, it, you know, until we know, it's just all speculation. But, you know, also, you know, you brought up Weissman, which I thought was interesting because I was going to talk specifically about that, how he said in his book, Where where Law Ends, that they did have enough to to get Manafort on conspiracy against the United States. They went with the tax stuff because it was just much far easier to prove they got a conviction Um, They got the sentencing they thought they were going to get maybe a little on the low end. Um, uh, But, you know, I mean, the only reason he's not in jail is because he was pardoned. Um, But he was not pardoned uh, for that polling data thing. However, in order to get this warrant, they would have to have fresh evidence. uh, But I don't think that that would preclude it from being tied into an entire scheme.
2: Yeah, and freshness is a big question in my mind. I mean, in other words, you've got to be able to demonstrate to the judge, you know, why you think there's something that is relevant, that is evidence that's there now. And if you look at, you know, some of the neighbors, I think George Conway actually lives in Kellyanne, live very close, if not immediately adjacent to the house, he told somebody in some newspaper reporting, and I've never seen the lights on there at night. And from what Der Pascha, he, I don't think since is sanctioned in, in 2018, that he's lawfully allowed to come into the United States. So the question is, okay, what if, if people, if he hasn't been in there, and if people aren't transiting through there or living there, you know, over the course of three years, what does the government have that they're able to say in an affidavit, you know, there's probable cause to think evidence of a crime exists there now. If nobody's really been in there for three years how do you it, it it's it, it's certainly possible but that puts a that that certainly puts a spin on the on the on the possibilities of what that problem will cause is because it's not you know it's not going to be a crime that you know unless he's got a server that's being operated out of the residence now but if he did something illegal in February of 2021, and he hasn't been in the United States for three years. There's not really, in most scenarios, a reason to think that recent evidence of a crime would be in that residence. Reasonably, it would go back to something that occurred likely, not necessarily, but possibly 2018 or before, whenever the last time he legally could come into the United States. So, it in my mind points to at least the likely date of whatever this crime or investigation is, some element of it, some element of the criminal activity taking place back whenever it was that Deripaska was last in or able to travel to the United States. Now, I mean, the danger in prognosticating like this, are there, you know, a thousand ways that that theory might fall apart? You know, if he has an assistant that constantly, you know, takes care of the house and he's still getting bank statements there and they're bringing in the mail, well, that could be, I, they're just... While that scenario laid out seems to me likely, it is by no means certain. So there's always a danger when we start speculating like this.
1: Yeah, I know, but danger is fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, because you know you're right. I, I hadn't thought of that before. It, he he hasn't been there in a really long time. It's not like the raid on Rudy Giuliani where they had to do it quickly because he's there every day or every other day or or, or whatever. Or there's people there. It's an active. There's activity. Um, and yeah, so I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that uh, possibility before. But I, I, I'm pretty sure the inspector general at Department of Justice is investigating whether or not a lot of these cases were kind of quashed or held back or purposefully blocked by Bill Barr. Uh, we'll, I don't know when we'll see. It's been more than 90 days I, since they started that investigation. I don't know when we'll see the, the fruits of that. We might not if there is an ongoing investigation. I tell you, they tend to keep those reports under wraps. Um, you know, same inspector general has been looking at January 6th and January 5th since January. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's and those an ongoing can take, investigation. I mean, I know
2: just from my own experience, I mean, those things can take years. So I wouldn't, you know, the fact that we're, you know, six, seven months in, it might be another 12 months before anything comes out or more. And Wait, you have personal
1: experience with Inspector Shockingly General investigations. Shockingly enough, yeah, they, they tend to keep
2: them quiet unless they want to, like, you know, illegally release uh, expedient private text messages in the, in the middle of the night to reporters. But that's neither here nor there, so... Yeah. Um, Yeah. So point being, I think we're, we're going to be waiting a while before we see several of these IG investigations. And then the other point to the IG is that, you know, they do have a lot of authority over the FBI in terms of. What they can compel and ask and get information wise, but when it comes to the DOJ attorneys, their authority is significantly reduced. A lot of that falls within DOJ's OPR, which is nothing like the IG. So when it comes to the IG looking at the actions of the department versus the FBI, it's not, it it may not The result may not look like what people are accustomed to seeing when they see reports about the FBI or DEA or subordinate investigative components of the department.
1: Yeah, And and you brought up the automobile. I think that that's interesting. Uh, I've heard one or two automobiles were taken. And again, it could be seizure. But also, I mean, you know. How long have this car's been sitting there? Uh, could they have evidence in them? you know if somebody plugs your phone and the phone into the car i mean like who who knows what it is? but I think that it's very telling that there were actually not just in there taking you know fancy, expensive stuff. there were seemingly boxes of documents and yeah. uh, did and
2: they art. you mentioned art i was i was did did you see that or did people report on that? I mean, I was kind of stowing that out as a hypothetical, but I didn't see actual art being dragged out.
1: Yeah, I know people who were th- like kind of on the ground on the scene, like uh, rubberneckers, etc. Ha- had seen what appeared to be like a, a piece of art with a blanket okay. over it. Uh, well, so speculation, but art-sized yeah, if, things. If
2: that's, I mean, if that's true, if it is art, I mean that that certainly does point to forfeiture-type um, activity. I mean, now it could be any number of things it could be evidence of a crime and things that might represent you know things that the government would want to attach to is the sort of the proceeds of, of ill-gotten gains um but if if there was art being taken out that points to it's not just you know, looking for evidence of the crime. It's looking for the, the 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 fruits of the crime and how that might be have been converted via money laundering or something else. But that's interesting.
1: Yeah, and that's the reason I brought up Jolo. I remember I think Leonardo DiCaprio had to return a Picasso and a Basquiat purchased with uh, laundered money uh, from that was put into the Wolf of Wall Street, oddly. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of where my my brain was going with with that. And I, rem- I remember that investigation. And I remember how many people Broidy, uh, somebody from the Fujis, how many people were swept up in that one MDB yep. investigation. And, oh, you know, we got that indictment for. Illegally donating money uh, to to campaigns, uh, funneling it uh, from from one MDB, um, and I know that uh, Donald pardoned Brody uh, for mm. his involvement in that. So it's just it's very. Um, I mean, there's so many. You know, I mean, you you worked on this. There's just so many threads, and you know, part of me wonders if the Deripaska raid isn't didn't originate. Um, in the Mueller investigation, much like I think the Tom Barrick thing did, or if it's just, it could, you know, like I said, it could be just purely a sanctions uh, thing, a sanctions violation, sanctions thing. And, but I mean, 10 and a half hours, like you said, it doesn't feel like a, like a sanctions raid.
2: Yeah. And the other, I mean, you know, Derek Deripaska is, I mean, he is an oligarch, his business interests and in- is are broad and complex. And so, you know, we are focused on his relationship to Manafort in 2016. But, you know, you think about like the the Russell, the, you know, the Russian aluminum plant that they had agreed to build in Kentucky, you know, shockingly enough, Senators McConnell and Rand Paul proud, you know, supporters of that. And my understanding is that, you know, I don't know that a the first shovel has been put into the ground after all that. But, you know, when that was going through, I think that was part of the reason that, you know, through, I don't know if it was CFIUS or another process that Deripaska had to uh, get rid of a majority uh, ownership stake um, or reduce his ownership stake so that the the plan could go forward. And so that was approved. And I don't know, again, I would be very curious if it's actually resulted in a single additional job for a Kentuckian, but setting that aside, you know, is there something there? Is it, the point being that for every one thing like that, if you're Oleg Deripaska and you have extraordinary control over the aluminum production of Russia, you are going to have any number of activities which might run afoul of the law. So it, it, speculating is is really just that at this point. But I'll expect one soon enough. I mean, look, if you're the FBI, you know when you do these, a search like this, let alone two, that it's going to hit the news. And so whatever you have to do before it becomes public, you're gonna have done. You know, if it's, if it's important, you're gonna say, all right, you know, w- before you take a step that's going to be very alerting and very public like that, anything you need to do in terms of obtaining information at a minimum, like freezing and preserving iCloud accounts or, you know, communications records or anything that might be deleted or deletable, you're going to either get it or maintain it such that when you do something like this, you know, presumably when, you know, Deripaskan is undoubtedly extraordinarily competent, attorneys go out to try and control what might be out there. If you're the FBI or DOJ, you've already gotten it or you've already caused it to be copied sequestered until such a time as you can get a warrant to go get it so this overt step like this indicates a certain um, maturity of the investigation. And again, it's not like he's not going there. You're not worried that he's going to go in tomorrow. And actually, there's evidence there that he's going to destroy overnight. So you can pick. I mean, they could have done this a month ago, a week ago, a month from now. There's not a sort of exigent reason to have to go in yesterday. So that tells me that at least a lot of the work that they would have wanted to do if you have the liberty and luxury of picking the time that you're going to search then you do it once you've accomplished everything that else that you reasonably want to do. So,
1: yeah, the I think urgency. we'll see. The urgency uh, wasn't there. Yeah, as right. sometimes it is. Uh, but yeah, we will see. I think one thing we can agree on though is is how uh, the 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 good news here. I mean, there's a lot of good news for me personally. But the good news here is that we didn't hear a peep about it from the Department of Justice before it went down. Much like we didn't have any idea that Tom Barrack was going to be indicted, and we didn't have any mm-hmm. idea that Rudy was going to be raided. Uh, and so I think that uh, we've we're back into an era where the Department of Justice is uh, keeping tight lipped about things, not announcing investigations uh, and, and, and doing things as as they're supposed to do them uh, until, like you said, such a time when there's going to be an overt thing that people are going to know about uh, and they're prepared for it, for that moment when it arrives.
2: Yeah. And you can go. What will be interesting to do is if the government comes up with enough information to charge Deripaska to pull out whatever that, you know, the complaint or the indictment, whatever it ends up being, and take a look at the narrative. And you can see with Barrick and, you know, the question is, are there gaps in the narrative, right? Where where people, you know, political actors like Bumpar or others come in and say, OK, you know, never mind the little established blackout around the election but we're going to extend that for you know six months earlier and months after just to get them out of office is there if and when charges against deripaska come is there going to be that similar gap that would point to kind of the the shenanigans the politicization of the of the department that occurred in the last administration is this just going to present another data point um but you're right it, it it didn't leak Barrick didn't leak. Clearly, investigators in the FBI, investigators in New York and D.C. were well aware of this. And, you know, the first we all hear about it is when we're watching our televisions with, you know, folks in ray jackets, you know, walking into the residence. So it's a good, as a, as a former FBI person, that's exactly what you want. That is how it should be. That's appropriate. And now we can all wait and see what comes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, I like your idea that it's it's a more mature investigation because they didn't have that kind of urgency where that, you know, with Cohen or uh, et cetera, where they had to go in immediately to preserve the evidence, uh, you know, in, in the face of it p- potentially being destroyed. So, yep, we'll keep our eye on it. And I uh, appreciate your time today. Everybody pick up the book Compromised. Really, really good book. Uh, still reading about ghost stories uh, is <laughs> one of my favorite things. So or, yeah. you know, watch The Americans, whatever you need to do. Uh, but I appreciate your time today. Pete Struck. Great. Thanks. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's A.G. And this portion of Mueller She Wrote is brought to you by Wealthfront. A lot of investment apps make it easy to start trading. But just because it's easy doesn't mean it's smart. And that's what makes Wealthfront different. They make it easy to invest and they make it easier to get smarter about it. Start with Wealthfront's classic portfolio or make it your own with socially responsible funds, crypto trusts, or hundreds of other investments. Either way, they'll set you up in minutes with a portfolio you can count on for the long term. Wealthfront was designed by financial experts to help you turn your good ideas into great investments without the hassle of doing everything yourself. You're protected from unnecessary risk because your portfolio is diversified across asset classes. And if you don't want to spend hundreds of hours trying to lower your tax bill, they help you do that. And if you're not sure how to rebalance your portfolio or you're like me and you're not sure what that means, they do it automatically. Wealthfront is trusted with over $27 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. You can get your first $5,000 managed for free at Wealthfront.com MSW. It takes just minutes to start building your wealth. So visit Wealthfront, MSW. That's Wealthfront.com MSW. And today's show is also brought to you by the Wild Alaskan Company. When you defrost seafood, the countdown for freshness begins. The clock starts ticking. There's a statute of limitations on your fish. And who knows how long that fresh grocery store fish has been sitting out for. Wild Alaskan Company freezes their fish after it's caught, so it's perfectly handled and delicious when you're ready to cook it. Wild Alaskan Company delivers high-quality, sustainably sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. Each shipment contains premium cuts of individually wrapped portions of delicious seafood that are ready to prepare and easy to cook. You can choose from salmon, cod, halibut, and more, or any combination therein. And every month, there's a different specials to explore. Wild Alaskan Company Seafood is how nature intended it to be. Always wild, never farmed, never modified, and no antibiotics. You can adjust, pause, or cancel your membership at any time, and they offer a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee or your money back. And right now, you can get fifteen dollars off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com/msw. That's Wild company.com msw for fifteen dollars off your first box. Wildalaskancompany.com/msw, and make sure to use our URL to let them know we sent you. And we thank them for sponsoring the show. All right, welcome back. Are you ready for sabotage? Everybody, I've got a few things that could shake up your fantasy indictment picks this week. Something I recalled while researching my backlog of Trump land criming and statutes of limitations. This week, I phoned Maine Justice and I sent them a letter asking them to reconsider or revisit multiple criminal referrals made under Bill Barr that got ignored in 2019. First, The House Intelligence Committee made a criminal referral to the Department of Justice under Barr to investigate Eric Prince for lying to Congress in January of 2017. That statute of limitations expires in a little over three months. I also asked them to reconsider a criminal referral made by the Senate Judiciary for Sam Clovis, Trump Jr., Kushner, Eric Prince, and Steve Bannon for lying to Congress. I believe those crimes should be investigated, and if warranted, they should be indicted on 1001 charges." I also asked the House Intelligence Committee to make a criminal referral, if they haven't already, based on Don McGahn's testimony recently about the obstruction of justice outlined in volume two of the Mueller report. And finally, I asked them to reconsider charges against Corey Lewandowski for lying to Congress. And I'll be watching what happens. In other sabotage news, Joel Greenberg, former Florida official whose crimes in Florida ensnared Matt Gates in a federal sex trafficking investigation, has been providing the Justice Department with new information as he continues to cooperate with authorities following a guilty plea earlier this year. After a brief hearing in Orlando federal court last week, Roger Handberg, an assistant U.S. attorney, said that Greenberg has made allegations to investigators that, quote, "...take us to some places we didn't anticipate." He went on to say, what investigators do is they follow up. They follow up on that to try to corroborate the information that's being provided. Greenberg, a former county tax commissioner and close friend of Gates, pleaded guilty to six charges in May, admitting that he had knowingly solicited and paid a minor for sex. As part of his plea agreement, he was required to give substantial assistance to investigators as they built out related cases. Cases, plural. Plural. His lawyer has said that Greenberg has held a series of proffers which are, you know, queen-for-a-day meetings with the Justice Department. Hamburg didn't say what investigators Greenberg was providing new information to authorities about, but CNN reported that Greenberg had told the Justice Department about encounters he and Gates had with women who were given cash or gifts in exchange for sex. Greenberg faced dozens of criminal charges before his guilty plea, and the ongoing investigations related to him have also roped in a circle of local politicians and businessmen who authorities are scrutinizing for possible fraud." In court Monday, Hanberg called Greenberg a prolific criminal, and he said Mr. Greenberg was not alone. Gates, who is also under investigation for obstruction of justice related to the investigation into him, has not been charged with a crime. He has repeatedly denied having sex with underage women. The hearing was held following a request by Greenberg's attorney to delay Greenberg's sentencing for a second time so that he could continue to provide information. The Justice Department did not oppose that request. Hamburg called the need for a second delay unusual, but added the department was in an unusual situation given the number of different investigations and different lines of investigations they're pursuing. He indicated this would be the last extension the Justice Department needed, and a judge agreed to move forward with a delay of sentencing until March 2022. Fritz Scheller, who is Greenberg's lawyer, told Court Monday that the sentencing delays were critical to his client so he could provide prosecutors with all relevant details. The Justice Department could seek a more lenient prison sentence for Greenberg based on the extent of his cooperation. As we know, over the summer, federal investigators continue to investigate the contracts that Greenberg handed out to several associates while he served as the tax collector in Seminole County. Aspects of the investigation into political finance crimes related to Greenberg have been handled in part by the U.S. Secret Service and on Monday, an official from that agency sat in the courtroom with prosecutors. And this just in, a breaking, breaking, fresh breaking news from Mike Schmidt at The Times. Uh, check this out. And this is also uh, penned by Katie Benner. They say the Justice Department has added two top prosecutors from Washington to the child sex trafficking investigation of Matt Gates, And that's according to two people briefed on the matter. Not familiar, briefed. This is a sign of the complex and high-stakes nature of the inquiry into Gates. The prosecutors, one, a public corruption investigator with an expertise in child exploitation crimes, the other, a top leader of the public corruption unit, have been working on the Florida-based investigation for at least three months. That speaks volumes about the silence at the Justice Department. It is not unusual, for prosecutors from the DOJ in Washington to be added to local teams of federal investigators in high-profile cases that require a deep and specific expertise, like sex crimes. Washington prosecutors have joined a group of federal authorities in Florida who have been investigating accusations of sex trafficking, fraud, and corruption by several people connected to Republican politics in Florida, including Gates. The authorities have been examining whether Gates violated federal child sex trafficking laws by providing goods or payments or drugs to a 17-year-old girl in exchange for sex. And with that, it's time for the Fantasy and Diamond League. I'm going to be indicted! No, wait, it is going to be okay. Indicted! Honey, Dick. Indicted! I, honey. I'm going to be indicted! Oh, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down.
2: I'm going to be indicted!
1: All right, well, i got to put Gates up. I mean, if we've just found out about these two attorneys, uh, two prosecutors, excuse me, from D.C., they've been on the case for more than three months, the sentencing hearing for Greenberg extended to March 2022, assuming a trial could take place between now and then. Uh, it's time for Gates. Uh, I think he's been on there anyway. I'd also like to add the Trump organization and Weisselberg superseding indictments. Uh, as we know, as we're, if you were listening to The Beans this week, Mimi Roca, friend of the pod, and now the Westchester County District Attorney, has opened her own investigation into whether uh, Donald inflated or decreased uh, assets, a golf course that's there. Uh, Let's see. How about uh, Rudy? I mean, it's coming up to be time, right? Because if we go by timelines in the Cohen case, Cohen was raided in April, pled guilty in August. Rudy was raided in April. Barbara Jones, special master, who was also the special master in the Cohen raid, has been turning over documents on a rolling basis to prosecutors. It's been almost two months longer than Rudy. But um, I don't think Rudy's going to plead guilty. Uh, let's also put DeGeneva and Tonsig on there. Eric Prince. Eric Prince. I'd like to put Eric Prince on there. Steve Bannon. And uh, I'm going to go two ways on Steve Bannon. It could either be the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, Department of Justice, in the January 6th. He was just uh, sent, a criminal referral was sent to the DOJ about him for defying a subpoena for the January 6th committee. Or Bannon could be indicted by the Manhattan District Attorney. <laughs> He's also investigating him. And that makes 10, my friends. So those are my picks. There's probably so many people that could be indicted while I'm off for a week. That's what happens. I go on vacation. People get indicted. So um, dust off your picks for the Fantasy Indictment League, and uh, we'll see what happens. I'm thinking Gates, but man, that's such a complex, sprawling, huge investigation. And for the for the guy Hamburg to say in court this week... Yeah, this has taken us to places we didn't expect to go. So Florida is, uh Florida's in for it, especially the Republicans. All right, everybody, that is the show. Thank you so much for listening. Again, thank you a million times to our patrons. Uh, hopefully I will see you when I'm in uh, Boston the next couple of days in New York, the next couple of days after that. I'm sure I had a real good time in D.C., although I'm recording this before I go. Uh, but uh, it was wonderful. DC was amazing. And thanks all so much uh, for listening. Um, And please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I'm Alison Gill, and this is Muller She Wrote.